You know, Alicia Childers, in her book, Another Gospel, she um, tells a story about being in a class with a progressive pastor. And he asked the question of the class this, how many of you believe that the Bible really is the word of God? And well, you're not in that class this morning, but if you wanna go ahead and say you do, you can raise your hand, that's okay. Uh, but only two hands went up in that room. And hers were one of the two hands. And she said, then the pastor followed with a question, why do you believe that? And the other woman, not Alyssa, answered and said, well, I can just feel it in my heart. It resonates deep within me. And Alyssa said at that moment, she realized that she has based her whole life off of one book. And she had no intellectual reason to know why. Other than her parents said, this is the word of God. Her Christian school said, this is the word of God. And the church said it was the word of God. It shook her. It shook her. And, and uh, what she goes on to say is this. When those, try, when those are tr who are trying to deconstruct the Christian faith they always start by pulling on the thread of the Bible. Because if we can undermine the Bible, then we undermine the belief of Christianity. And so I gotta ask you this morning, do you know why you believe that the Bible is the word of God? Other than, if I was a good singer, I'd sing that song, you know, the Bible tells me so. <laughs> Uh, we saw a couple weeks ago, the Bible tells us so that it is the word of God and that it is the truth. But do we have anything to stand on other than that? Do we know anyone who has said that other than the Bible? Do we have any evidence other than just the Bible says that it's the word of God? So today, that's the question I'm gonna answer. Is this book really the Word of God. And next week, I'm going to come back. The message is kind of closely related to it. And we're going to ask this question. The book that we're holding in our hands this morning, is it reliable? Is it trustworthy? And is it accurate? These two go hand in hand. <laughs> uh, if it is the Word of God, is this book that we're holding today, which some of us have different words than the other, really the Word of God? And this is important because if this really is the word of God, since God himself is the truth, then that means that the book of the words that he spoke is the truth. It's a reality we can build our lives on and anything that contradicts it is not true because this book claims that its truths are exclusive and anything that contradicts it then would not be true. Listen to what Isaiah said in chapter eight, verse 20. The law and the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, 
It's because they have no dawn. If what they say is not consistent with this book, then what they say is really not the truth. That's a gigantic claim. (laughs) And so we got to say, is this really the word of God? And if this is the word of God, since God is perfect and God is free of sin and even incapable of sin or error, that means the words that he spoke are perfect They are free from error. That means inerrant. That's a big word that theologians use for it. And it means it's even incapable of error. That means it's infallible. And here's another one that I think is probably the most practical one for us this morning. Since Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, We sing about, we talk about, we worship about him being in control and the Lord of our lives. If God is king, immortal, invisible, eternal, if that's true, then that means the words that he speaks that are recorded in this book have absolute authority over our lives. You want to know what the king says? You want to know what God says? He says it right here. And those words hold authority over our lives. This is a big issue. (laughs) This is an important topic. And so this morning, I'm going to try to address that and see, is there anything more than just the Bible says this is the truth? And so what I want to do this morning is, first of all, look at what others have said about the Bible being the Word of God what uh, internal evidence we can find from the Bible that would show us God's fingerprints, that this is a divine book, and then finally some external evidence uh, that, that validates that this is the word of God. That's where we're going. We together? Let me pray. Father, I want to thank you for this book. We learned a couple weeks ago that uh, as the Thessalonians received it, they said, this isn't the word of man, this is the word of God. And I want to pray this morning that something happens that's bigger than Pat Peglo and Pat Peglo's sermon. I pray that the spirit of God would be at work convincing us in the core of our being regarding what this book really is. And Lord, that you would create in us a new respect in a new way of responding to it. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's get started. What what, what have others said about the Bible? Again, two weeks ago, we looked at the claims from the Bible that says it's the truth and that it's the word of God. Now, what have others said? Let's start with Jesus. I guess since he is the truth and since he is God, which he proved by having the character of God, uh, learned by the testimony of others and what they saw of him. We also saw by the miracles that he performed and especially his resurrection from the dead according to Romans chapter one, I think it is verse four, that says that proves that he was the son of God. So I guess it's important to see what did Jesus say about the Bible? And I, the first thing is, uh, and Pete, go ahead and put up this verse in Matthew 22. I'm going to flash up some verses here at the start. When Jesus was speaking and, and he talked about David and as he was challenging some of the religious leaders, he said, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? 
They said to him, the son of David. He said to them, then how does David in the spirit call him Lord saying, and now he's going to quote what the Old Testament says. So what he's saying is, is what David said, he said in the power and under the influence of the Holy Spirit, when he said, the Lord said to my Lord, we see this in the Psalms, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. Jesus is saying right there that what David said, and we learned this two weeks ago, under the inspiration of the Spirit, being moved by the Spirit, much like a, the wind moves a sailboat through the water in the direction it's moving, God by the Spirit, with, in the wind of the Spirit moved David to say exactly what God wanted to say in his word. In Matthew 15, Jesus quotes uh, honor your mother and your father, written in the Ten Commandments. We see it in the book of Exodus. We see it uh, in the book of Deuteronomy, quoted again. And we know it's written in the scriptures that way. But this is what Jesus said. Rather than saying the scriptures command us to honor our mother and our father, he says, God says, honor your mother. And your father. You see, Jesus is looking at the scriptures and saying, this is what God says. God said it because it was written in his word. And then finally in Matthew chapter 22, again, Jesus quotes Exodus 3, 6. We'll show you this one again. And look what he says when he quotes this passage of scripture that is recorded in the Bible. But regarding the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? He could have said, did you not read what was written in the scriptures? No, he says, have you not read what was spoken to you by God? I'm the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Jesus, who's God himself, proved it by the resurrection from the dead, is very clear in saying that this book are the very words of God. The Old Testament, the authors of the Old Testament said that these words were the words of God. Look at in Exodus 20. Then God spoke all these words saying, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Then he goes on and continues in that chapter to write down what God had said. How many times do you remember reading the Old Testament and what do the prophets say? Thus says the Lord. What they're saying is, I'm gonna tell you what God said. And guess what? That is used over 2,000 times in the Old Testament where the prophets say, what they've recorded in the written scriptures are what they said because the Lord told them to say it. Thus says the Lord. How about the apostles? What did the apostles say about this book? Well, Paul in 1 Timothy 5.18 affirmed that both the Old Testament and the, and the Gospels are Scripture. Because look at this. For the Scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. He's quoting the Old Testament. 
And Paul's calling that the scriptures. Now, if you remember again, 1 Timothy 3, we saw this last time. All scripture is inspired by God. All the written words of God, the Bible, the writings, are inspired. They're God-breathed. It's the wind of God. It's the breath of God that pushed these human authors to write the very words that God wanted written. And here Paul is saying, for the scripture says, when he refers to the Old Testament, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. Then he quotes the, new t- uh, the gospels, and again calling it scripture, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Peter equated Paul's writings to scripture. Listen to this. And regarding the patience of the Lord as salvation, just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, now we're speaking about all of Paul's letters, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and the unstable distort as they do also the rest of Scripture to their own discretion. You know what he just said? Peter just said, guess what? These letters from Paul are Scripture. They're God-breathed. They're the result of the Spirit of God moving a human author to say the very things that God wanted said. And then we, we saw this one in 1 Thessalonians where those who heard Paul's words receive them as the very words of God. For this reason, we also thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. How about the church fathers? The church fathers were uh, the leaders of the church after the apostles. Matter of fact, they, they intertwined with the apostles, some of them to such a degree that they actually knew some of the apostles personally. And the church fathers became the leaders of the church uh, right after the apostles went off the scene. Starting with Clement, Clement, Clement whoever he was, you guys look him up later. <laughs> I'm so used to Clement Billhorn, I wanted to say that, but it's Clement. And um, he, he was not only the leader of the church in Rome, but he also knew some of the apostles personally. He said this, we need to obey the scripture because they're the words of God. <laughs> Early church fathers saying, okay, we need to obey this book because these are God's words. And then you take Justin Martyr, a second century apologist. He said this, that the prophets spoke by the divine word who moves them. And he was referring to the word, John 1. We know that Jesus is the word. When he says the divine word, who moved them? He's talking about inspiration. He's talking about how God inspired these prophets to write. Arrhenus. Theologian and apologetic said this, apologist said this, scripture is perfect since it was written by 
and spoken by the Word, Jesus, and the Spirit. So here again, church fathers saying, this book is perfect because it was written by God. And then finally, Augustine, an African theologian, he said God first spoke through the prophets, then he spoke through his own lips. Then he spoke through the apostles, and then finally God himself produced the scriptures. The church father said, you know what? Here we have the apostles, we have the prophets, we have Jesus himself, we have the church fathers all saying, these are the very words of God. So that's what others say. But what about some internal evidence? Let's go beyond what people say. Um, I, I, what I'm looking for here, kind of like CSI, they're, they're kind of dusting for fingerprints. <laughs> can we find any fingerprints of God on this book as we kind of dust it and see if we can find it? I believe we do. And I think the first place we see it is in the place of unity of, of the Bible because we got to understand the Bible was written by 40 different authors, 66 books over 1,500 years. And these authors came from different places at different times with different backgrounds and different occupations, so they all experienced life differently over 1,500 years. But as you read this book, there's one common theme throughout. That's supernatural, guys. 1,500 years, 40 different authors from different places. And yet when you put this book together, you look at it, there's one common theme, the glory of God through the salvation of man, through the person of Jesus Christ, the one central character throughout this book. The contents are unique. There is no other religious book in the world that does what the Bible does. You see, the Bible is the only religious book in the world that tells us Salvation is a gift that God gives us rather than a work that man's got to do to earn. And this is the only book, others have made predictions, but this is the only book that has made over 2,000 predictions. And at this time, 2,000 of them have already come true. So you can go back and you can look at the prophecy and then you can look at the history and you can see exactly what the Bible said is exactly what happened. Those, to me, are supernatural fingerprints of God. How about the indestructibility of this book? There is no book in the history of mankind that has undergone more attacks and more attempts to destroy it than the Bible itself. But the same God who wrote it is the same God who's preserved it throughout time. There have been many attempts. Roman emperors, very early emperors, sought to destroy this book. Diocletian, he's the emperor who preceded Constantine that changed the movement with the empire towards Christianity. But Diocletian, listen to what Eusebius says, a church historian. This is what Diocletian did. Royal edicts were published everywhere, commanding that the churches be leveled to the ground 
and that the scriptures be destroyed by fire. But then he's gone. This is also what he said. Next slide, Pete. He said this, if one had a copy of the scriptures and did not surrender to be burned, if it were discovered, he would be killed. Furthermore, if any other should know of one who had a copy of the scriptures and did not report it, he also would be killed. That's, that's kind of a big pressure, isn't it? Well, listen to what was recorded in the history books by um, historian, let me see if I got his first name here, I don't, Newman. Multitudes hastened to deny the faith and to surrender their copies of the scriptures and many more bore the most horrible tortures and refused with their latest breath to surrender the scriptures or in any way to compromise themselves. May God and you give us the grace to be in the second half of that comment if we're ever faced with that. But this is what happened as a result of this edict. Many people did turn it over because they didn't want to be killed, but others received torture and were martyred, refusing to give up this holy book. Volunteer, a French non-believer who was very strong and arrogant in his statements against the faith. In Middle Ages, he made this statement that within, he made this prediction. Okay, church gives, or the Bible gives prophecies, trace it, see they're true. Here's a prophecy he gave. In 100 years, the church and the Bible will be wiped off the face of the earth. Well, guess what in 100 years? Not only did it not become true, but the very printing press, this is a God thing to me, guys. The very printing press that he used to print some of his unbelieving material saying that the Bible, you know, the Bible and the Christianity is going to be destroyed was used to print the Bible. Isn't that God, man? Isn't that awesome? And his house was used to store Bibles by the, the Geneva Bible Society. So, that, to me, it's such a God thing. Here's this guy boldly predicting, man, they're going to be wiped off the face of the earth. Not only was he wrong, but God used the printing press that he used and the house he lived in to print and to store Bibles. That, to me, the unity of the Bible, the content of its uniquenesses and the indestructibility of the Bible show the fingerprints that this book really is the Word of God. What about externally? Let me give you a couple other external evidences. The Bible states things that science later proved. That's some of the external evidence, the science. Now we understand that the Bible is a historical book. And it really, you, you can't take history into a scientific lab and test a one-time event. You following me? But what you can do is take repeatable events that the Bible talks about that can be tested and test them. Let me give you three examples. How about the fact that the earth is flat? Centuries upon centuries, it was believed that the earth is flat. What did Isaiah and Job say? He talked about the circle of the earth. Job, the very first book of the Bible, 
<laughs> talks about the circle of the earth. And what did science find out later? Guess what? This thing is round. It's built in a circle. And yet man believed for years that it was flat. How about air? You see, man believed that because you can't see air and it's invisible, it must not have any weight. But Galileo later on proved the fact that there is weight uh, to the air. Just as the book of Job said when it said that God measured out weight to the wind. <laughs> book of Job, first book written. There's always been weight to the air. But man didn't believe that because you couldn't see it. But science later proved that exactly what God said was true. I love the recent studies of neuroscience. That, that encourages me. Because Romans 12, God's word has told us that man is transformed by the renewing of his mind. Neuroscience now has got the ability to actually put tabs on our heads and trace our brain and the way we react to things. And we're learning that when man takes his rogue thoughts of lies and replaces them with truth, it literally rewires their brain. It changes us at the core of our being. Just like the Bible has always said, science is catching up and learning and proving to us the things about God. How about history? Let me give you just two. Ancient Babylon records record what happened at, ba at Babel. It isn't just the Bible, but you can take secular ancient Babel uh, records and history, and it talks about this event that happened back at the Tower of Babel. Many, many, many cultures record a worldwide flood <laughs> that has taken place that we learned about. And I remember being in China on a missions trip. And I remember, uh, you know, China's got a lot of languages and some are, the, the words are in pictures and different things. And he showed me a Chinese word. Uh, I believe this, you know, they have different dialects in China and stuff. But he, he showed us, uh, me a different a word in one of their dialects, which is a picture, and it's the picture of a boat that what he said is the idea of the fact that there was a flood <laughs> back in the time, a worldwide flood. History, you know, other cultures are recording what the Bible has always said is true. Archaeology, you know what archaeology is? That's the you know, they go and dig up for things and they try to find what used to be uh, millenniums ago. And um, they have found the remains of Sodom and Gomorrah. They found the place where it is through archaeology. And they found evidence of a fiery and violent destruction. Just like we read about in the Bible. The plagues in Egypt. They have found uh, archaeology has found evidence of some of the plagues that took place that the Bible told us about. The one that impresses me the most is Sir William Ramsey. He is the first chair, uh, he was, uh, I mean, he, he was the first chair of archaeology at Oxford. Now, in my mind, that qualifies as a big-brained person. He was a non-believer, 
but through his extensive work of archaeology in Asia Minor, the things he discovered so convinced him of the truthfulness of the New Testament, he not only validated the truth of the Bible, he converted to Christianity and became a believer because he was so convinced by the archaeological finds that this book is true. And I think uh, two more. I'm going to go back to prophecy for a second. This book is full of details about people, places, and things that would happen that are recorded before they happened. Things about the first coming of Christ and things about the second coming of Christ that we're waiting for. Uh, Somebody said there's 2,500 prophecies in the scripture. 2,000 of them have already been fulfilled literally just like the scripture said. Like I said, we can go back to scripture and say, what's the scripture say? We can go look at history and we can see what's happened in history. 2,000 have already been fulfilled. That's why we look forward to the return of Jesus because there's 500 more yet that we're looking forward and great promises of a blessed hope that we look forward to. The book of Daniel has unbelievable prophecies in there that were written in 6 BC, six centuries before Christ came. And the details of the prophecies in Daniel 2, Daniel 7, Daniel 8, and Daniel 11 are so specific that those who refuse to believe in the word of God say it had to be written by somebody after the events happened. So they believe that the book of Daniel was written uh, during the uh, Maccabean period. If I try to say that on my own, I'd screw it up. The Maccabean period. Because there's no way anybody could ever give the details. And you go back and read today Daniel 2, Daniel 7, Daniel 8. It's amazing the details of what it unfolds in the next 400 years of history. And like I said, even those who don't believe in Jesus say these are so accurate that there's, it had to be written afterwards. Now, I want to give you two, two reasons why I can't buy that. First of all, Jesus, who is God, who is the truth, said Daniel wrote this book in the New Testament. He refers to, to Daniel writing it. But here's another one if you say, I, 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 I'm not buying that. Daniel chapter 9. Now you got to remember the Maccabean period was in 168 to 134 BC, okay? Christ died in about 32 BC, so given about 160 years before. Now Daniel 9 tells us the exact day the Messiah is going to enter into Jerusalem and present himself as the king of Israel. It also tells us that not long after that time he'll be murdered and then the city of Jerusalem and the temple will be destroyed. All that we find in Daniel chapter 9 within just a few verses. So if you say, I don't buy it, well, you know what? How supernatural (laughs) that about 160 years before Jesus came as the Messiah, that's what happened. Brothers and sisters, the fingerprints of God 
and the fact that this really is God's word are all over this book. And here's the one, I guess, is the one we should buy the most, and the fact is that the main character of this book fulfilled a prophecy that the Old Testament talked about, became the focal point of the New Testament, becomes a heart of the gospel that we believed in, and that's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Romans 1.4 says that when Jesus rose from the dead, he powerfully proved that he is the Son of God. So let me reason with you for a second. If Jesus rose from the dead as proof that he is God and that everything he said is true, and if Jesus said that these words are God's words, I don't know how I can argue with that. <laughs> and you know what? Anybody that speaks contrary to that, it's because they have no dawn. This is the exclusive truth right here. These are the very words of God. I think I've been challenged, uh, don't hold me to it all the way, but I think on Easter I'm going to show some evidences beyond the scripture of how we know that Jesus rose from the dead to kind of continue this theme uh, of seeing some evidences that go beyond just the scripture told us so. But let, let me finish with this. This gets really personal for you and me. And that's this. That what the Bible says we see happening in our very lives and happening in the world around us and the people around us. Uh, one of my brothers who prays with me every week um, said to me, regarding the message two weeks ago, is the Bible really the word of God? He says, Pat, I'll tell you why I believe the Bible's the word of God. It's because my life was like this. I came to Jesus. My life was totally changed on the inside and my life, had, you know, things were different. Then later on, I started reading the Bible and what I saw in the Bible explained exactly what happened to me. You following it? <laughs> I know that there's many people in this room that can stand up and say, this is my testimony. <laughs> that you know what, what this book says is, is exactly what happened to me. I know it's true personally, not just because the Bible tells me so and not even because of what others said or what internal, external evidence says, but because I know when I look at my life and I look at this book says, I know it's true. I can see the things this book talks about happening in the world around me. I can see the things it's talking about happening in the people around me. How many of us can't relate as believers to Romans 7 in these few verses? I don't know if there's one that better explains my struggles at times. For what I'm doing, I do not understand. For I'm not practicing what I'd like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. How many of us have not experienced that? Our heart is longing to walk with Jesus, but there's another principle working within us called the flesh that, that's at war and, and making me a slave. But thanks be to God that through Jesus Christ, we've been delivered. 
So guys, as we continue this series, again, this is a series on truth. My final exhortation comes again from Thessalonians. We saw this verse a few weeks ago. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, not as the word of Pat Peglow, not as the word of Mike Locke, not as the word of Josh Weaver, not as the word of Gary Olson or Dave Perrow or Joe Brassfield or Dan Fletcher, but rather received it for what it really is, the word of God, which also does miracles in us who believe. Brothers and sisters, we need to recognize this as the word of God. We need to receive it as the word of God. We need to respond to it as the word of God. And we need to respect it as the word of God. So Father, my prayer for this morning has been twofold. One is that our assurance and our conviction about this holy book being your words Lord, would grow in our heart by means of the Holy Spirit. So I ask you, God, would you do that work? Would the Holy Spirit deepen within our hearts, not just a message Pat preached, but the Holy Spirit using that to do something deep within my heart to say, wow, this really is God's word. And since God is king, this book holds authority over my life. God, would you build that in us? But Lord, I pray also you would equip us with the tools we need to help others that are struggling in the world around us or other believers that are still struggling with this. Lord, to understand that this book has got the fingerprints of God on it and it really is his word. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.